Good morning, church family. It is, it's great to be here with you all this morning on this 4th of July weekend. Uh, some of you are looking at me saying, well, that's not Pastor Ryan, that's not Pastor Michael. Pastor Brian was standing beside me. Uh, but for folks visiting with us today and online, my name is Steve Smith. I'm one of the lay elders here at Nansen River Baptist. And some of you also may be thinking, I didn't know he could preach. I'm standing up here thinking, I didn't know I could preach either. But no, seriously, it, it is an honor to bring God's word to you this morning uh, from Psalm 65. Uh, when I was preparing for this sermon, it, it was a couple of months ago, Pastor Ryan and I met and he said, look, you don't have to go the full 40 minutes that I do. I was like, whew, that's, that's a relief. So, but I had plenty of time to prepare. I still woke up this morning feeling nervous because I was thinking to myself, am I going to go over my time? Am I gonna be way under my time in like 10 minutes? And then what do we do for the rest of the 50 minutes that we're gonna be in here? Am I gonna have too much money or money? Am I gonna have too much information? I'm thinking about money for some reason. Um, or if I'm not gonna have enough? Well, after a couple of revisions, I was able to narrow it down to three points and uh, that's in your outline. But for my notes, I have 47 subpoints that I have to go through. That should carry us to about 45 or 50 minutes. Um, just, just kidding. I'm gonna try and keep this to about 30 minutes and we're gonna be referencing a lot of scripture from Old Testament and New Testament, which are printed in the handout. So at this time, let us stand in honor of reading God's word. And I am reading from the ESV Bible, uh, just like Pastor Brian. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When inequities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the, of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it, you greatly enrich it, the river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow the hills, gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning that you have blessed us with to where we have the freedom to be able to come together and worship you. We thank you, Father, for this scripture verse of 65 and how we are gonna be looking at it in several different ways. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be able to, to share the word, calm any nerves that I may have, because I know, Father, it's 
through the Holy Spirit, and it's you. I can't do this. It's you, Father, that can. Let the words come out that uh, understanding is, uh, of the scripture is um, there for, for the, the minds of, the, of our church. And we thank you, Father, that everything in this scripture is your word. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. So the title is called God's Sovereignty Seen Three Ways. And before we begin looking deeper into scripture, we need to understand the type of psalm that this is. If you read it just very quickly, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. And it is referred by some scholars and commentaries as a harvest psalm or a harvest prayer, maybe written during the Feast of Tabernacles talking about Old Testament. We can summarize that on the surface, it celebrates God's grace, his might, and his provisions. But there's so much more within this text. And unlike many of the Psalms that are attributed to David, this one does not have any lament for mistreatment at the hands of others, but rather celebrates that the great God who is often maligned or slandered, will be honored. What we're going to read in this text is how God's sovereignty is seen in the three roles as God our redeemer, God our creator, and God our provider. So let's jump right in. Verses one through four, we're going to see God as our redeemer. David begins with praise is due to you, O God in Zion. Now, some translations that you may have with this first verse of due to, as in the ESV, may have awaiting or will be given. But either way, the same idea is being God through worship. And then we look at this word Zion. Now, this is a reference back to Jerusalem with the Israelites in the temple and most likely at the time of the harvest festival. There's gonna be references that we are going to read later down in scripture that reference back to that. But right now we're focusing on, they were to assemble and give thanks to God for his blessings on them, to give praise through worship and prayer just like we did. Now we're gonna be referencing a couple of more of the, the festivals, but you see these in Leviticus. Now on, if you could flip that slide for me on, um, In your handouts, one of the scripture verses is Leviticus 23. And Leviticus 23 goes over the different festivals or different days of worship that God wants the Israelites to do, such as the Sabbath, to remember Passover, first fruits, feast of weeks, feast of trumpets, day of atonement, feast of booths. And we're gonna be focusing on day of atonement a little bit later. And then when you look at the second half of verse one from Psalm 65, and to you vows will be performed. This is a heartfelt thanks of worship to show gratitude in response to what God has provided to the Israelites. These vows were spoken of a renewal of God's favor. And today we see this when we come together and give praise to God for his blessings on us. You know, we should also, as the Israelites did in the temple, 
gather together as a body of believers to perform our vows, these solemn promises, praise, prayer, thanksgiving, giving back tithes and offerings to God. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, 19 through 22, Paul's explaining that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Some of you in here know who Charles Spurgeon is, the great theologian. We reference a lot from him. He said this about keeping vows and promises. A vow unkept will burn the conscience like a hot iron. Vows of service, of donation, of praise, or whatever they may be are no trifles. And then in the day of grateful praise, they should without fail be fulfilled to the utmost of our power. So basically what Charles Spurgeon just said is, if you make a vow and not keep it, it is going to burn you up inside. Then when you go into transitioning to verse two, oh, you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Now with the Israelites in anticipation of prayers being answered, these prayers that they are lifting up to God, they were celebrating and enjoying the bountiful harvest that God had provided to them. The Israelites knew that it was only God and God alone that could provide, nothing else. And just like the Israelites, we as believers should give praise and glory to God for the blessings we receive, not only individually in our own lives, but also corporately like we do here. God's faithfulness will never dwindle when our faith in him does not waver. And when the psalmist writes, to you all flesh will come. You know, Old Testament, this is a reference to the temple. To go and worship the Israelites' time. But for us today, it is Jesus Christ. This will be a place of worship for everyone who believes and we see that in Jesus. In John 2, 19 through 21 Jesus references that. He speaks these words to the Pharisees, even though they did not understand what he was saying. You know, Jesus answered them and said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So when we look back on these first couple of verses, the Israelites have a great harvest to be thankful for and praise God for. But we now have a greater harvest to be thankful for when the spiritual harvest for Jesus Christ is reaped. John 4, 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the fields being ripe for harvesting. God's grace that he shows us is one reason why the worshipers were empowered to come together and give praise and thankfulness. 
And we're going to see that in these next two verses. When inequities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Now, David didn't write my transgressions. He writes our transgressions. David continues here in verse 3 talking about these iniquities, these unfair behaviors that, that others may have done against him. And when we think about David, we think about murder, think about lust, we think about those sins, those accusations that are against him. And he may consider these enemies got the better of him. But he did, just like we should do, be aware of our sins and transgressions. David knows that God and God alone will atone for his transgressions. And then when we go back and look at what David said, our transgressions, not only is David speaking of his own sins, but sins of everyone. And we know that Christ, who died on the cross, bore those sins. When Christ's sacrifice is remembered and applied in our daily walk, it purges our sins as the writer of Hebrews states in verse, uh, chapter nine, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Christ, our propitiation, came into the world to forgive our sins. You know, when we read the word atonement, it paints a picture of something being covered over. And when, the, when David, the psalmist states, you atone, he is speaking of, at that time, in Israel's time, this animal sacrifice that they had to bring before the Lord. But we know for us today, it is the blood of Jesus Christ. I wanted to look at this word atonement for a second. You know, any merit that we may have does nothing for us to receive the grace God gives us. We can't, we can't do anything to receive that grace. God gives us that grace. He is the one who created a way for us to approach him and that is through our relationship with Christ Jesus. So the blessings that we receive, just like in Israelites' time, must be acknowledged and praised because of his grace for us. Also, if this psalm was written with an atonement subtext, then the Feast of Tabernacles would make sense to follow. And you can see this in Leviticus 23, 26. The Feast of Tabernacles was five days after the Day of Atonement. So they gave their sacrifice, the Day of Atonement, five days later, praise and worship for the harvest. The most holiest day to the Jews being followed by a celebration and giving thanks for the kindness and redemptive grace of God. Again, another example for us to follow in drawing near to God for worship and praise for his atonement because of the sins that Christ Jesus covered for us. And we, can, we continue to see God's ever-loving grace in verse four with the worshipers being thankful because they get assurance that their gratitude is accepted. Verse four, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts, 
We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. The language here at the beginning typically refers back to the priestly realm where God appoints and anoints those chosen to the priesthood. And we're, we're talking way back Old Testament. But when we look at the first three verses, it's more directed to the Israelites as a whole group, as a whole nation. And you can see that in Exodus 19.6, where God is speaking and he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, not just a kingdom of priests. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. It is through God's sovereign grace to be a guest in his house and experience the holiness that surrounds his temple. To be a guest, to be in his courts. We must be grateful worshipers and always remember that God receives sinners into his house through his mercy and love. Through his son, and is under no obligation to do it, but he loves us and that's why he does it. I'm getting ready to take a sip of water, but as we continue to read, there's gonna be a transition now into verses five and eight, where we go from looking at God in verses one through four as our redeemer to now God as our mighty creator. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. David is speaking here about God and his righteousness and how he is answering his people. These deeds being referred here that David is talking about are these bountiful blessings that God has poured out on the Israelites these material blessings such as the harvest, the physical protection and the spiritual needs to be able to come and draw close to him. Knowing where the Israelites are, they know that their enemies do surround them. So they are aware or should have been aware of their need for God's protection along with his provisions. And when they worshiped during the harvest, it was a reminder that God was fulfilling his purpose to care for them through his almighty power. God didn't just care for the Israelites, but he stretched his hands to the ends of the earth to reach all people. So no matter where they were and where we are, God's care for them and now us never ceases. His righteousness is just in how he treated them and how he treats us today. You know, Psalm 107, eight and nine says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Another reference to giving God the worship and the praise and the prayer that he deserves. You know, these far off seas that is referenced here in this verse, 
It references those Gentile nations that are beyond the scope of Israel because you got to remember Israel, there's only two bodies of water that they were probably familiar with, the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee. But today, those far off seas, it's for anybody who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond those two bodies of water. Then and now, a realization of God's mighty power is what makes mankind. If not for God, we would not be nor have. And then moving into verse six, we're gonna see God's, God's creation happening. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might. David begins describing God's strength through his majestic work. Now there's some debate about this next scripture verse as far as how do you pronounce this uh, book of the Bible? Habakkuk or Habakkuk? I always say Habakkuk, but I could be wrong. Um, Habakkuk 3.6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. When you look at these mountains, these established mountains, they re represent stability in his creation from day one, <clears throat> where he created the heavens and the earth. Yet even though they may be moved or shaken, they stand firm. And we must always be encouraged and trust that his love and covenant with his people is even greater in foundation and stands more firmly than these mountains. And this is a, a great reference here from Isaiah 54:10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And then we continue and we see again his dominion over everything in verses seven and eight who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. What a vivid picture of what God's awesome power is, the sovereignty over everything. You know, we combine verses seven and eight because of a transitional word found at the beginning of eight. That's so what, or so that. This figurative, figurative language here with the referencing of roaring of the seas and the waves, the tumult of the people. You know, God, the everlasting work he does and the worship, worshipers never ends. You know, David writes about God in the Old Testament having control of the seas, but the New Testament also gives us a clear understanding of the same power that Jesus Christ had. And we see that in verse, uh, Mark 4, chapter 4, verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Just like in the Old Testament from Psalm 107, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. 
How could we not put our faith in the one who can move mountains and calm the seas? David here also refers back to the same types of people as in verse five, those at the ends of the earth who may be confused about who God is, but they are in awe of these signs that he does. And what are these awes? These awes that they, that they are just in, in just catching a glimpse of what God can do, his power establishing mountains, calming the seas, the bountiful harvest. But we can go back further into scripture to the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, the flood, the destruction of the Tower of Babel. Believers and non-believers alike had put their faith in God. You know, a prime example of this was Rahab. You remember the story when Joshua sent two spies into Jericho and she took them and hid them so that uh, the people of Jericho could not find them. She put her faith in God because she heard of the signs he had done. These signs bring God's people to him through his righteousness of these awe-inspiring acts. Now we take another shift and we go from God our creator to now God is our provider. This is the longest section of the Psalm. Now long is five verses, but we see this shift in God's role. Here God is giving the essential needs to his people through a series of blessings. C.S. Lewis, some of you may know who that is, author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and other tales such as that. But he, he was also uh, an author of Christian books, Mere Christianity. He also wrote a book called Reflections on the Psalms. And he makes an observation about the way the psalmist appreciates nature in his writings. And he says this, the psalmist, plural, not just David, who are writing neither lyrics nor romances naturally give us little landscape. But what they do give us far more sensuously and delightedly than anything he has seen in Greek literature is the very feel of weather, weather seen with a real countryman's eyes, enjoyed almost as a vegetable might be. So he's saying David here is writing this, this beautiful psalm and giving us a clear picture of what God is in, as a, a creator, as a redeemer, and now as our provider. And we see this in starting with verse nine. You visit the earth and water it, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water, you provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You know, David is painting a beautiful picture here of God providing much needed nourishment to the earth through rain coming from the rivers of water. 
Not only does he mention the rain, he expresses gratitude for the grain and how God prepares it. Now I wanna take a step back and I wanna think about the word visit here because he says, you visit the earth and water it. You know, when we think of face-to-face conversation, these visits, it's a, it's a conversation. You know, maybe a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with a piece of cake or some cookies or a scone, something like that. It's an afternoon chat or early morning chat. But here, David explains the way God visits. He comes down and he surveys the land like a gardener to his garden. And he provides through the physical needs as he sees. So God comes down and he gives the Israelites much needed water for the season of harvest. Now let's look at verse 10. So what happens when water gets poured out on dry, hard soil? It makes it soft, able to be cultivated, planted and harvested. You know, for us today, this water that God poured down for the Israelites, we see it in Jesus Christ that because he provides the living water for us to grow. You know, John 4 is a story at the beginning of Jesus and the woman of Samaria. You know, this is where Jesus is traveling and he travels into Samaria and he tells his disciples to go ahead and go forward. Um, He's gonna take a rest by the well. And so a woman comes up to draw water and he says, give me a drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? Because Jews and Samarians did not interact. And then Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. And then they have a dialogue and she's asking about this living water. So through the Holy Spirit, you know, we are being cultivated through this living water. These high thoughts are being beaten down. Our needs are being filled. Our faith is increasing. And the fruits of our labor, you crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills themselves with this mission of a crown. Typically, when we think of a crown, we think of royalty. Kings, queens, prince, princesses. But here, a year is being crowned. A year where God has poured out his goodness to his people through various acts. He has provided abundantly where the needs are met with so much more than they could ever want. And for us, God has provided a never-ending source of life in Jesus Christ with whom we can find salvation. You know, John 10, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, explaining to them in simple terms that he is the good shepherd. And he explains, he says, the thief comes only to to kill and destroy and steal. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Just as God provided abundant life for the Israelites, God gives us Jesus Christ to provide that abundance of life. And then also, second book of Peter, 
He starts this with these letters or with these words. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So with just these two verses, we see that life is more meaningful when we have the salvation through Christ. You know, going into the second half of verse 11, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. You know, a picture comes to mind of maybe God riding across the earth, spilling these uh, provisions all over to where there's so much the Israelites could not collect. You know, even in the vast emptiness of the wilderness, such as in verse 12, where there is typically nothing growing, full of sand and rocks, God's provisions spring forth life, fertility, and abundance. And then we go into verse 13. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. So we're finishing up in verse 13 with this picture of God being sovereign over everything. Even the flocks. We're talking about cattle, sheep, goats, and the fields of grain worshiping the creator. And you may be asking, well, how is flocks and grain relatable to me? The harvest. It's a figurative picture being painted that those flocks, those fields of grain, symbolizing those who have believed and have faith in Jesus Christ, who shout and sing praise for the wondrous provisions God has blessed them with. We take verses one through 13 and we see how God is our redeemer, our creator, and our provider. And so my question is, so what? One simple statement. How have you seen God work in all three ways in your life? How can you take verses one through four as God as our redeemer? Five through eight, seeing the creation and nine through 13 as provider. God, who is our redeemer, creator, and provider is found in Jesus Christ, who paid for our sins on the cross, on the cross as the perfect redeemer. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The Israelites had animal sacrifices we were blessed to have Jesus Christ as our sacrifice. Creation, he was there in the beginning when the world was created. John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And as our provider, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, he provides us with everything we need to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. You know, this psalm gives us the confidence through Jesus Christ to praise for the works of God found not only in this one psalm, but in all scripture. You know, throughout this psalm, the attention to God is the priority. Nothing preoccupies David. It's all God. It begins with a thanksgiving to God through worship, transitions to repentance of failures, sins, needs, and then ties it all together as believers across the seas as one church body who can sit and rejoice in God's creation and plan of salvation. You know, with all this being read scripture and heard today, just like the Israelites who went to God for praise, worship, and salvation through sacrifice, we have that same opportunity through a relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you are having questions about Jesus Christ and a relationship with him, or in need of prayer, don't hesitate. Now's the time that I'll be out front. Another elder would be able to pray with you or talk with you. But don't let the opportunity pass you by. So let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this wonderful Psalm of 65 where we saw your Father, our God, Sovereign over everything is our redeemer who provided a way for us to come to him as a creator and as provider. We find all blessings in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for this time that we can worship through scripture, through song, through hearing of the word. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.